I'm going to ask Craig to join me up on stage just for a minute. So uh, will, you, will you give a hand to Craig? All right. This is Craig Langhans, and uh, I'm really excited he's here because, first of all, what you need to know about Craig is Craig is my friend. Yeah. Your best friend. My wife's right there. Your second best friend after Kate. And Jesus. Is up Your third best friend That's after third Jesus third. and yes, Kate. Yes, All right, go. then there's the kids and the Yeah, <laughs> never mind. My grandson. I'm one, sitting right over I know. <laughs> my daughter's right there. The point is, my I'm son. way down the list, but I'm on the list. You're on the list. That's, that's your point. Important. That's right. important. And so I'm, uh, I'm good with that. That's, that's good. Yeah. I made uh, the, I made the cut. <laughs> you made the cut. That's right. Uh, a couple of things I want to tell you about Craig that I'm excited about. He's been in ministry for a long time, like 45 years now. 44 years. 44 years. So that's awesome. Uh, Craig's, by the way, one of the people that when I need some wisdom in my life, I call Craig, and uh, he's just that guy for me. I have a couple people like that, but Craig's one of them, and so I want to just let you know that's who he is to me. So. I would say I'm a better pastor because I've listened to Craig several times. And so you've been the benefit of that as well. Um, and that's awesome. Another thing about Craig that's great is uh, he loves Think Small, the mission that we support as well. Um, Craig loves them and it will actually, in his retirement, begin to start working for them. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that. And yeah, I'm going to be traveling, traveling with Think Small, uh, working with them on a yeah. weekly basis. Yeah. yeah, raising support, actually, so that I can do yeah. that and just donate my time to Think Small. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. He's recently retired, uh, well, part-time. I'm, fully, I'm fully, fully retired from the lead pastor role, so the buck yes. no longer stops with me. Yes, that's good. And I'm loving that. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. But one of my favorite things about Craig, are you ready for this? Craig still, to this day, barefoot water skis. I do. Yeah. So give it up for Craig. All right. Thank you. It is true that I do barefoot water ski. Mark asked me about that actually this morning. He says, have you done that recently? And I said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, just last week, I said, I think I have a video on my phone. So uh, we quickly uploaded that. Here, take a look. This is on Lake Coeur d'Alene. I'm going to turn around so I can see what you see. Oh, there it is. The boat is doing about 40 miles an hour at this point. Watch, wait for it, wait for it. That's two feet, wait for it. One foot coming up. Wait, for, gotta go a little faster for one foot. I just turned 69 when uh, I was, I learned to barefoot in my 40s, and when I was 50, I said, I'm going to barefoot ski at least once every summer till I'm 60, which I did. When I turned 60, I thought, well, that wasn't that hard. I'm going to do it every summer, once every summer until I'm 70. I'm almost there. I got one year to go. Yeah, I'm 69 years old, 48 years married to my wife, Cindy. Uh, after Jesus, Cindy is the best thing that ever happened to me. We have three sons who were married and we have 10 grandkids. I uh, planted a church in Bellingham, another one in Grand Coulee, another one out in Otis Orchards or uh, that area uh, just 
recently, last year or two, and uh, also a church in Columbia, and I've been pastoring at Mission Church, formerly Mirabee Chapel, for 35 years. But those are just numbers and statistics and facts. And those are typically the kinds of things that when I get introduced or I introduce myself to people that don't know me very well, those are the kinds of things that I typically would mention. It's pretty common for speakers to do that. But I, I want to take a little bit different tack this morning because what often is missing in the introduction of speakers and, and how we think of people that are influential in our lives, people that have written books, people that mentor us, pastors that are speaking into our lives, one of the things that I think we far too often neglect and need to really focus on more is really tied in with this summer series, The Simple Gospel. Let, let me reintroduce myself. I'm Craig, 19-year-old sinning young man, going nowhere fast, making a mess of my life. And then I intersect with the person of Jesus Christ who captivates me, captures my attention, comes into my heart, forgives my sin, gives me a purpose, gives me life, gives me hope and peace, and begins to bless me in ways that are way beyond anything that I ever, ever deserved. That's who I am, is the guy who was a sinner, but who is now a son of God. I have a privileged, elevated, wonderful place in the family of God. My heavenly father, my creator, who sent his son Jesus to, to die in my place, has taken me into his family, and he calls me his own. I'm a, I'm a son of the creator of the heavens and the earth of the universe. I am a son of my father in heaven. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are too. That's who you are. And we're not defined by what we have accomplished or we haven't accomplished. Ultimately, we're not defined ultimately by uh, the things that uh, are definitive in our life, the experiences we have, the people we know, the colleges we go to, the careers we have. Those things don't define us ultimately. What really defines us is who God says we are, what God's done in our heart and life, and what that means against the backdrop of his eternal purposes for each and every one of us. That's who I am. I'm God's kid. And I didn't deserve to be, but I am. And I have been all these years. Let's pray. Father, as, uh, as we consider your word this morning and we consider what it tells us about who you are and who you want to be in all of our lives, as we consider this great grace and mercy that you've lavished on us. Father, I just pray and ask that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to have hearts and minds that are open and receptive to whatever your Holy Spirit wants to deposit into our lives today. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the simple gospel. You know, when I think about the simple gospel, and I think about what I know about the gospel and all the studies and things, at, at first glance, the, the term, the simple gospel, strikes me a little bit as an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? Oxymoron? I've got a few of my, my favorites here. Uh, oxymoron. Hmm. Let's see. Um, alone together? We just want to be alone together? 
Isn't that an oxymoron? If you're alone, you're not together. Um, do you have the original copies? The originals aren't copies. And there was this deafening silence. Okay. Now, I want your unbiased opinion. If it's your opinion, all right, never mind. And then here's one of my favorites. Short sermon. That really is an oxymoron, isn't it? And this whole idea, the simple gospel, why are we spending all summer studying it? If it's so simple, wouldn't 10 minutes do? Right? Why do I need to speak for another 29 minutes on the simple gospel? I mean, if it's really simple, then why all the complexity and the confusion and the, and the, the, the distorted ideas about what the gospel is? Well, to, to help me illustrate how I understand the simplicity but the enormously profound nature of the gospel, I brought this lamp from my front room. I was actually sitting in my recliner this morning preparing for today, and I was looking at the lamp thinking, it's a good example of, of kind of what I was hoping to communicate to you today. When, when I want this lamp to work and shed light, I turn the switch. Simple, right? But think about it for a moment. That light is that bulb is connected to a lamp, which is connected to a cord, which is plugged into an outlet, which goes into some wiring that's in the walls, which goes to a box that has breakers on it where the electricity comes into this building. And it comes from a transformer that takes the higher voltage and reduces it down to usable voltage. And that comes from some high voltage lines from a substation that actually probably is connected to Grand Coulee Dam. And electricity is this amazing complex thing that involves electrons. And it's, is it AC or DC, right? I don't know. Do you know? And, and how do the electrons, do they actually move from one? Now we're deep in the weeds when it comes to electricity. And if you're an electrician or if you just like that kind of stuff, like to nerd out on electricity and things, um, it's fascinating to study. Electricity is really this complex, wonderful phenomenon that we just take for granted because when we want light, we plug it in and turn on the switch, right? Simple, but there's a whole lot behind that light burning right now. If you don't think so, ask Thomas Edison, who invented the light bulb, although I think that one's LED. He didn't invent those. But, but for many uh, years, well, for the majority of the the, the history of the human race, we didn't have electricity. It's a recent development. We just take it for granted. And all this technology and science and complexity and infrastructure is behind that bulb lighting at this moment in this room together with you. Simple, but there's a lot to it. And that's how it is with the gospel. And as we study a book like Romans, as we go along in our relationship with Christ, as we, as we get further into God's word and begin to understand some of the nuances and the truths that are revealed there, it's so very important for us not to lose sight of the simplicity. The point of electricity is the stuff that it produces. The light is the point. The heat is the point. The, the thing that the electricity does. The electricity is not the point. And and, and so we, we need to focus on the light and, and the simplicity of the light. And if we compare that to the gospel, as we get into God's word and we discover things about God's plan and his purpose and all the wonderful truths that are there, we've we got to remember to push back at some point and, and look at the big picture and realize, all right, for all the complexity that is there, it really ultimately is pretty simple. 
You have a wristband, I understand. And, and what does it say? I think I can quote it pretty close, but somebody who's sitting here, tell me what it says on a wristband. No, now you're looking at your wristband. That's cheating. Tell me what it says on a wristband without looking. Somebody? Now, Kate, I know you know. Because I actually listened to your message when you were talking about it. And, and I thought, that's great. They've got a wristband. Somebody else over here? Jesus Christ, crucified and risen to set me free. That's fabulous. It's powerful. And by the way, that echoes very well one of the best places in Scripture uh, to understand the simplicity of the gospel, and that's 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, I deliver to you the same gospel that was given to me, and here it is. Jesus Christ, crucified, raised on the third day. The crucifixion and the resurrection are the central historical facts of the gospel. If he didn't go to the cross and if he didn't rise from the dead, if the tomb's not empty then we're wasting our time here today. But he did, and it is. He went to the cross, and the tomb is empty, and those central facts are right at the very heart of the gospel because, because those things validate the message that we have received in God's word, and those things are the pivotal points in all of human history. Everything before the cross looks forward to that day when Jesus said, it is finished, as he hung on the cross for you and me. Everything since then looks back to the cross in retrospect and reflection. The cross and the resurrection are at the very heart of the gospel. Don't let anybody steal that away from you. Now, as we get into what I want to talk about briefly here today, I want us to think not just in terms of how it might help us. We have a tendency to do that as Christians. I do, I know, and I think it's pretty typical of human nature. Basically, the underlying question is, what's in it for me? What can God do for me? What what benefit is there for me? If I apply these principles to my life, if I surrender, like how's that gonna work out for me, right? We tend to think in terms, pragmatic terms, in terms of how my faith in Christ, my choice to follow him, my devotion to him throughout my life, how that's gonna benefit me. But, but I want us to think in broader terms than that. And, and in order to do that, I, I think we just need to get into God's word. And, and, and that, as we do, I, I want us... I want us to remember the light bulb, the complexities of electricity that make that possible. I, I want us to think in terms of the complexity of God's truth and how it makes something very simple possible. And, and what does it make possible? Let, let me, maybe you've heard this quote before. It's often been repeated. I did a little research, by the way. It's a true story. It actually happened. Karl Barth, a Swiss theologian, when he was in his 70s, was in the United States on a lecturing tour, and he was in Chicago in 1962. I was 10 years old then, and God was the furthest thing from my mind. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. But he was speaking at, at this um, particular uh, church in Chicago. When he was done, he opened it up for some Q&A, and a, a boy asked him, said, for all of the decades of your studies and research, and he was a very learned man, very well-studied very knowledgeable, very intellectual, had written things and things are written about him. And, and so Karl Barth heard this boy's question and, and he responded and he said, I can sum up all of my theological understanding with the simple words that I used to hear sitting on my mother's knee. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And that man, in that moment, did what I'm hoping to do this morning. 
He took all the complexities and the deep, rich truths of God's word and kept them simple enough to be able to respond to a young boy's question in an audience. Let's try to do that today as we get into Romans 9. Romans 9, by the way. Thanks, Mark. He said, he said what are you... He, he, I asked him, I said, what are, what are you guys talking about? I mean, what, what, is there a current series? What do you want me to speak on? He said, oh, we're in a series called uh, The Simple Gospel. I thought, simple, that's great. That works for me. And, and I said, well, where are you doing that from? He said, from the book of Romans. And I'm thinking, hmm. And then he said, you're going to be doing chapter 9. If there's any chapter in the Bible that's anything but simple, it's Romans chapter 9. Thanks a lot. <laughs> but I'm going to attempt to take the complexities of Romans 9 and see if I can keep them fairly simple for us. Here's what it says. We're going to read 16 verses, follow along, starting with verse 1. This is Paul. He's writing to believers in Rome, and he says... I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. Does he really have to say that part, by the way? I'm not lying. Like, maybe I was before, but now I'm not. I don't know. It just kind of strikes me odd. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Now, if you're starting to get lost, that's okay. Join the others who are also starting to get lost. It's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Not because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. In other words, you are Abraham's children if you have faith in the one that was promised to Abraham, namely Jesus Christ. Kind of a quick summary of where we are so far. Then he says, For this was how the promise was stated. Did I skip part of it there? Nope. All right. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, verse 10, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by her father Isaac. Verse 11, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose election might stand, lost, I am a little bit, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Ever read that in the Old Testament and wonder about that? Like, how is that right? We'll get to that here in a few minutes. Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It, we're going to stop with this last verse. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Now, that's a lot. But basically what he is trying to get across is this, that God is the one who extends as a free gift his mercy to whomever he chooses to. But I, I really want us to, to focus on the opening verses. Did you catch the passion with which Paul wades into this fairly complex subject matter? 
He says, I have unceasing sorrow. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing witness. The Holy Spirit knows it's true. I have unceasing sorrow. I am torn up inside. I cry myself to sleep at night. I am fighting depression at the thought that my own people, the Israelites, will miss out on eternity because they rejected Jesus Christ, their promised Messiah. In fact, if I could do so, I would exchange my salvation. I'd send myself to hell so that they could have a relationship with God. That's how passionate about this I am. Now you say, well, that's great. That's wonderful. Paul, that's inspirational that you're, you're that passionate. Yeah, it is. And, and I know for myself, there have been times over the years, over the decades, that um, I've, I've been more like that than at other times. It's something that I, I drift away from, that, that passion, that desire inside to see other people come to know him and receive the gift of eternal life. And sometimes it just, it gets lost in, in you know, life starts to happen and you get focused on other things. But, but this is not about how wonderful Paul's heart is. What I want you to understand is that was not Paul's heart to begin with. Remember, he was Saul. He persecuted Christians. Now he writes this. And, and what, he's, what he's telling us, what, what God is telling us through Paul, through, through God's word, is that's God's heart. God doesn't want anybody to miss out. God doesn't want anybody to lose out. I, I, uh, I want to I I talk about three, very quickly, about three simple questions that I think will help you in communicating the gospel to other people. You know, th this is not just about us understanding, you know, the benefit to us, as I was talking about earlier, but this is about us focusing on the benefit that other people will receive. And that, that's where Paul's coming from. I'm going to ask three simple questions as we go along. And they're questions that I, I picked out because they're in this text, but also because they're the kinds of things you run up against when you're sharing your faith, when you're talking to that family member or that coworker or that neighbor who's skeptical or maybe even resistant to the gospel and they raise objections. And so um, th this is designed this morning to help equip us to more effectively, more simply communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to people who have questions. And their questions are, are reasonable in so many cases and, and understandable. They're the same questions I had. All right, so the first question is, how, how um, much do I really matter to God? How much do I really matter to God? Now, the, the answer from some of us in the room would be pretty rote, be, be pretty quick and predictable. Oh, I matter a lot. Like, well, I matter so much he died for me. I, he created me. Uh, Jesus loves me. This I know. The Bible tells me so. That's great. But, but I, I want us to unpack that a little more uh, in a way that's a little more personal. And, and to do that, I, I want us to think in terms of bookends. Do you know what bookends are? I, I looked around my house and realized I don't have any bookends anymore. I guess for, to have bookends, you have to have books, right? And most everything's digital and electronic these days, but they hold books up on a shelf, right? There's one on each end. And, and I want you to think in terms of the Bible and, and the bookends. Let's rewind all the way back. Let's rewind all the way back to Genesis, and uh, let's look at chapter 3, verse 8. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. What do we find there? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of Adam and Eve 
and how they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, in the garden, before they sinned, there were lots of trees, and two particular trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the other tree was the tree of life. Remember that? They were encouraged to eat from the tree of life, no problem, but of the knowledge of, the, of good and evil, that tree they were not to eat, but they did, and when they did, they were ashamed, and when they were ashamed, they hid themselves, and I want you to notice something here. We're reading in verse 8. It's uh, just one verse. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Did you catch it? They heard the sound of what? Of the Lord God walking in the cool of the garden. It was a familiar sound. They didn't have to look and see him. They heard a sound they knew all too well. Why? Why did they know that sound so well? Because God on a regular basis came to the garden, showed up in human form, and hung out with Adam and Eve, which was his point all along. He created man in his own image so that he could enjoy a relationship with his creation. He wanted to have a personal, regular, ongoing, really amazing, satisfying, thoroughly enjoyable relationship with Adam and Eve, not just for Adam and Eve, but for God. God had a vested interest in that. And then they messed it up. So he shows up just as usual, and they hear the sound, like, here he comes. You know, when, when I was a kid and I, I messed up and I was hiding in my room, I, I recognized the sound of one of my parents coming down the hallway to my bedroom, right? Here they come. I'm about to get disciplined. I mean, you, there are certain sounds. You just rec you hear it, and it's like, I know what's about to happen next. And they heard the sound of the Lord. Now, other bookend, Revelation. Let's go all the way there to Revelation 22, verse 2. Now, at this point, all of God's purposes in the universe have, been, have played out and been accomplished, and uh, the new Jerusalem is there, and his people are dwelling with him forever. And I, I just want you to notice verse 2. It's talking about the river in verse 1, uh, the water of life that flowed from the throne of God and down the middle of the great city. Verse 2, on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Now, wh what do we have? We have the tree of life on both sides of the river, the tree of life that was in the garden, the tree of life that will be there in the New Jerusalem. It'll go on in chapters 21 and 22 to describe for us in great detail, how God will dwell with his people. There will be no need for the sun anymore. There will be no ocean, which I'm kind of disappointed with that. The new heaven and new earth don't have a sea, and I love scuba diving and all things water-related, so I don't know. Shark Week, anybody watching Shark Week? Like, come on, no sharks in, in the new heaven and new earth? I don't know. I'll have to take that up with the Lord. But anyway, so, so this new existence, this forever existence with God, is God enjoying his people forever. The, the people of God being the dwelling place of God himself. When, when the New Testament writers talk about us being the dwelling place of God, we don't really quite grasp that until we look at the bookends. What did God have in mind and what does God eventually have in mind when he restores all things to his original purposes? He wanted to have a great relationship with Adam and Eve and all their kids and grandkids. And in eternity, he's going to have a great relationship with all those who put their faith in Christ and became his kids through the work of his grace and his mercy in their lives. Those are the bookends. 
See, we often start with a problem and then go to the solution. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. You need a Savior. Hey, buddy, you know, are you listening? And so, uh, you know, accept Christ and you'll be saved. And those are the two middle parts. But the two parts that we often don't focus on enough are this part and this part. What God was trying to do in the beginning and what he's eventually going to bring it back around to, that's the point. Let me, let me just take you one more place. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, and I want to read it out of the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. Paul's praying for believers in Ephesus, and he says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. By the way, if you're ever wondering what to pray for somebody else, just pull out Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. There's two great prayers at the end of each of these chapters. Just pray these things. It'll start giving you a clue as to God's heart and purpose for for people that you care about. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. Wait for it. Those he called. That's you and me, right? And all who put their faith in Christ. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. What? What's he talking about? Well, he talks in, in God's word. God talks about the inheritance we have but here he's not talking about that. He's talking about the inheritance he has. You see, we so often think in terms of what do we get out of the deal? How can God help me? How can God bless me? Is life really better if I follow Christ? Uh, you talked about that. If I surrender everything, is there really something better? We evaluate so much of our relationship with God in terms of how it affects us and how we benefit. But what about him? I've often asked myself, you know, he... He loved us. He created us. He sent his son to die for us. He's pursued us. I mean, everything is his unilateral activity in reaching out and drawing us into a relationship with him. And I, I ask myself, what does he get out of the deal? Like, I, I'm pretty sure we're getting the long end of the stick. Anybody agree with that? Like, we're, we're, getting, we're getting a huge boatload of blessings. In fact, Ephesians 1 says, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. There's not one blessing he withheld. It's all in Jesus. You've got the whole boatload, right? If God's that generous with us, it's like, what does he get out of the deal? You know what the answer is? He gets us. What's, what's, what's the answer to the question? How much do I really matter to God? The answer to the question is, a ton! Now, I know that's a, that's a difficult theological term for some of us here today, but I'm trying to take... A, a ton, right? It comes from the Greek. No, come on, people. It's, it's just a way of saying, I matter more than I can comprehend. I matter to him so much so that before he created everything, he knew what would happen, and he planned from before the foundation of the world to send Jesus so that he could bring you and me back into relationship with him because that's what he wanted all along. Let me illustrate it this way. A number of years ago, quite a few years ago now, one of our sons uh, was, was in a relationship that my wife and I had some serious uh, problems with, and there were some family dynamics, and things went from bad to worse, and then after they'd been worse for a while, they got even worse still, and the relationship was strained, probably one of the lowest points in our family history. By the way, when I was there at Lake Coeur d'Alene, all 18 of us were there together. We do that every summer for a week, and then every Christmas we spend a week together. We have a great relationship now, but like any family, we have our challenges and our problems, and and what I'm talking about uh, it was a real low point. And our son had come uh, to town to visit, and we had gone down to River Park Square and got, got something to eat. And as they were getting ready to get on the freeway and go back home to where they live in Seattle, we were standing out in front of River Park Square, right there on the street, 
We just walked out uh, through the doors there, and uh, we had been in a conversation, and I realized I was at that point where it's just like, I guess this is how it's going to have to get left for now, and, and they're going to just get in their car and leave, and I don't know where this is going to go. And I mean, I am just wrecked emotionally. And uh, I remember stopping. You, you ever say something, and when it comes out of your mouth, you think, where'd that come from, right? Or that's really true, or I never thought about it that way. I mean, you, you hear things come out of your mouth and you have a reaction. Sometimes that happens when I'm preaching. I think, well, that's really good. I need to write that down, you know, and just, well, this is one of those moments, and, and we were standing there, and the emotions are just sky high on their part and my part. My wife's there. We're standing there, and I just, I looked at him, and with tears running down my face, I said to him, I said, all I have ever wanted as your father is to have a great relationship with you and with your family. And as I said that, I realized that's what it boiled down to. That's why all the emotion, that's why the pain, that's why the hurt, that's why the struggle was because that great relationship was being threatened by all the stuff that was going on. And I realized right then that not only was that my heart, but that was God's heart for me and for you. And that's God's heart coming through Paul. I have unceasing, so I just wish, if, if, if I could trade places, I would because I know how much God loves the people, Israel. He loves us all that same way, but they're missing out. And I wish they wouldn't. Well, three simple questions I said is what I wanted to, to ask. And that was question number one. And at this rate, we're going to be here until about 2 o'clock. Is that okay with everybody? No, I, I, I spent most of my time on that. The other two are very quick. The first question, how much do I matter to God? And the answer is a ton, a lot, more than I can comprehend, however you want to answer it in that way. And the second question is, and, and I, I think that this is also um, really important, how fair is God's treatment of me? I, I don't know about you, but My, my wife especially, but, but it's also true of me. But my, my wife, you want to you wanna push her button and get her, get her riled up, you get, her, get her really going, just uh, talk to her about something that's not, not fair. And she, she just, it, it's a thing for her. It's just when it's not fair, it's not right, it's unjust. And, and far too often, far too often, we define fair as equal. And equal isn't necessarily the definition of fair. But this issue of whether it's fair or not comes up in Paul's letter, and, and it's in his letter to the Romans, and it's in chapter 9, and I'd like us just to take a, a quick look at uh, the verses there, 20 and 21. Romans chapter 9, verses 20 to 21, uh, Paul is addressing the issue of uh, the kids that were, you know, born to the patriarchs and all of that, and, and I just, I want us to pick up the idea here. He says, he, he's, he's saying, you know, he's anticipating the objection. Well, you know, some of you will say, well, why does God hold us accountable then if he's calling all the shots, basically is the point. And in verse um, uh, 20, he says, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What, what's his point? His point is very simple. It's God's universe, and he can set the rules however he wants, Right? Right? When you have a universe, I give you permission to set the rules in your universe. But in the meantime, it's God's universe, and he sets the rules. And you think, well, I still don't like that. That still doesn't feel right to me. That's still not fair. 
How come we don't have a vote or a say in that? Listen to me. You should be grateful that he's setting the rules and that he's setting the rules the way he is because he could have set the rules in a way that would have caused all of us to be toast. He could have said, you've got to perform, and if you perform well enough, then I'll allow you to spend eternity with me, but if you don't, you're out. He could have said a whole lot of things other than what he said, but he realized, because he loves us so much and he's so generous towards us and so gracious and merciful, he, he realized the only way this works is if I send my son and then offer it to them as a free gift. You should be very thankful that the God we have who's setting the rules, and he is the one setting the rules, set the rules the way he did because it gave all of us hope and um, a possibility, an opportunity to have eternal life with him. Now, that's, that's in terms of how it is that we come to a relationship with him, but, but it's also very personal sometimes. You ever, you, ever just, you ever just struggle with the content of your life? Like just where you're at in life, like this, is this who I am? Is this, I don't know, as I got older, as I'm getting older, um, more and more is this uh, a realization for me. Like th this is, I'm, I'm looking back on more of my life than I am looking forward to in, in my life. And, and I'm realizing, okay, this is my life. This is who I have been. This is what I have done. This is what I've been about. And, and that's not all bad, but, but, but sometimes we get to a place where we just struggle. It's like, well, I didn't think it was going to be like this. I just suspect some of you maybe that are watching online or some of you in the room, you're struggling with that currently. It's like when I got married, I thought it'd be different than this. When I took this job, I thought it would be different. When I started down this career path, I thought it would be different. When I, when I came to Christ, I thought it would be different. Than, and I'm just I'm struggling with the current content of my, my life, the people in it, the circumstances. All it. And, and, and when we struggle, often the issue is it's just not fair. God, you're blessing that person more than you are me. You're doing stuff in their life different than you're doing in mine. They're living the life I wish I was living. You ever, you ever have that kind of envy? Anybody be honest enough with yourselves? Like, that, that's the life I wish I was living. I can't tell you how many times I've felt that way as a pastor. How about you? You see another guy's church and, you know, he's doing this and he's doing that and he's accomplishing anything. Ah, that's the life I thought I was going to live when I decided to follow Jesus and become a pastor that's his reality or her reality. This, this is my reality. It's different. And, and at, that, at those points, I think we just need to trust the character of God that while it's never guaranteed to be equal, did you hear me? It is never guaranteed to be equal. God's treatment of me is always fair. So how's, how do we answer the question? Is God's treatment of me, how fair is God's treatment of me? And the answer is totally fair, completely, absolutely it's not equal, but it is fair. God's grace is always sufficient for you and me. Remember, Paul prayed that. He said, Lord, I need you to address this issue in my life. He had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times. What did God say? God said no. God said no to his request. I, I get a kick out of people who say, well, I prayed, and, and, and God doesn't answer my prayers. No, what you mean is he didn't answer them the way you wanted him to. Because sometimes the answer is no, and that's what Paul got. Paul but God said it nicely. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. But basically he said, I, I'm doing enough good things for you, Paul. You're, you're all right. I'm not taking this one, this part of the content of your life away. That's number two. The, the last question we're going to conclude with this is, isn't the gospel just too good to be true? And I, I get this question fairly often. Um, that just seems too simple. It's the simple gospel, right? This is the theme that we're in in, in, the, in these weeks through the summer here at Cheney Faith Center is, it's, it's simple, 
And, and some people will respond to that and say, well, it's just too simple. It's just too good to be true. You mean it's a free gift? You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. God just forgives you and gives you this gift. Of, yep, that's how it works. And I, I see people, because of our culture and how it's structured, we reward effort. We reward accomplishment. We give people degrees and raises and uh, promotions and new opportunities when they perform well. Our, our whole culture revolves around, in so many ways, performance, even parents with their kids. So when we come to God and God says, no, it's not, it's not going to be about performance. It's going to be about a free gift, but the, here's the, the way it works. You're going to put your faith in, in my son, Jesus. Oh, okay. And for some people, that's a stumbling block. And that's also in this chapter. Let's read it. Romans chapter 9. And it's actually the last three verses of the chapter. Paul is often, he gets onto this theme. And I, 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 love, I love how um, passionate he gets when it comes to this particular theme. He says, what then shall we say, verse 30, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, God setting the rules, but as it were by works, the way they thought it should be. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, who is actually Jesus. As it is written, see, I lay in, in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And, and you think, is that good news? Yeah, wait for it. This last verse is our focus point. And the one who believes in him, Jesus, will never be put to shame. God sets the rules and makes sure that if we abide by the simple gospel and come in faith to his son, Jesus Christ, if we'll just do that, he's got us. He's got the rest. And we're his. And he's got our eternity secure. He's got a purpose for our life. He's going to watch over us. He said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He said, um, I, I, I am going to work in your life and the work that I've started, I'll continue until it's complete. I have an inheritance for you and you, by the way, are my inheritance. I mean, God's, he's got it all. And we, we think, oh, well, it's, that, that's too much. Those are too many wonderful things to be true on, on the basis of such a simple thing. I, I, I suppose you've noticed this up here. This is not my coffee cup. I, I can go for 35, now 40 minutes, sorry. I can go for 40 minutes uh, without drinking coffee. This, as a matter of fact, this doesn't have any coffee in it. It doesn't have any water in it. But it is a, it's one of those, you know. But I brought it because there's something unique about this. So when I set it down, just a simple act. When I set it down, it's more secure than you think. You say, well, was there magnets or something? No. I just, just set it down. The simple act of putting my faith in Christ makes me more secure than I can possibly comprehend. It's like this mug. The simple act of setting it on this surface makes it more secure than you can possibly imagine. You say, well, what the heck's going on? Well, for you curious types, there's a suction cup thing on the bottom, and it just happens to be physics. And in fact, it's so secure... You say, you say, seriously, it's that simple? I put my faith in Jesus and I'm going to heaven and spending eternity with the creator of the universe? Then I get to be one of his kids? Yeah. 
the simple gospel. Put your faith in Jesus, and you're good to go. Put your faith in Jesus. He's got you. I know it's silly, but I was fascinated by this mug when I saw it online. I had to have one, so I ordered it. It's a great tool in illustrating my point. How simple is the simple gospel after all? That's the question we started with. And, and the fact is, it's just amazingly, totally, completely, unbelievably simple. Is it too good to be true? Is it too good to be true? No, not at all. Not at all. Three simple questions that are running through the hearts and minds of people that you're trying to help to discover a relationship with Jesus Christ. People with whom God wants to have a great and satisfying relationship. And so as you think through your faith and think through the questions you have and the questions people are asking, try to take the complexities of the gospel and reduce it down to as simple a thing as you can and help people understand that ultimately at the end of the day, this is all about God wanting to have a great relationship with you, me, and everybody else on the planet. And he's doing everything he can to achieve that end. Let's pray. Father, I am so glad that's who you are. I am so glad that you have gone to the lengths you have to accomplish your purposes, to pursue each one of us individually, to help us, Lord, to uh, be restored back to relationship with you and to be a part of your forever family. Father, I pray for any who are listening to the sound of my voice in this room or online, if they have not yet come to faith in Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would. I pray that they would soon. And I pray that they wouldn't struggle with any of these fundamental questions, that they would know that they matter to you, that they would know that you are a just and fair God, and that they would know, Lord, that it's not too good to be true, that the free gift is real and genuine and graciously and mercifully offered by you to all who will receive. We pray all this, Father, thanking you for your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Will we give Craig a hand this morning? Thank you. Thank you very much. That was a good, good understanding of Romans 9. Yeah, good job with the heart chapter. <laughs> That's great. Well, I just want to remind you as we go uh, that you do matter to God. And so does your neighbor and your coworker and a whole bunch of people that live in China and Brazil and all around the world because we're all the same, amen, created in the image of God, worthy of his love. And so I want you to think about that and process that this week. Who can I get into a conversation, a spiritual conversation, and use these three questions? There's people all around us that need this conversation, amen, and we can have it with them. So could we do that? That's awesome. All right. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week. He has come.